Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. And today, our hosts are Kirsten Heinz. Whoa! I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. That was an odd first name. What happened? Yep. They finally turned my mic on today. (laughs) Filling in for Lori. Uh, As we know, those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Yes, they are big shoes. I know. What size (laughs) are they, Lori? 10, 11? (laughs) (laughs) But coming up on today's episode, Joey, who are we talking to? A fantastic guy who's a community activist, leader in social justice, and a donation advocate. And we're going to talk about how men grieve. This sounds like it's going to be a great episode. Let's get to it. In this episode of The Gifted Life, we have a guest from St. Paul, Minnesota, all the way from up north, from our friends from Life Source, Mr. Melvin Giles. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Melvin Giles, of course, again, comes from our friends at Life Source. And uh, I have to tell you guys out there, when I went through his uh, accolades and honors, it is, a, it is our honor to, to be able to talk to you. Uh, Mr. Giles has been a huge uh, impact or had a huge impact on the community as an activist, as an organizer. Uh, he's been uh, done a lot in education and social justice. And uh, and uh, just just a quick rundown: 2003 Martin Luther King Dreamkeeper Award, 2005 Virginia McKnight Binger Award, and Human Service. 2008 Outstanding World Citizen Award. 2011. Marl Hall Rachel Tilson Social Justice Fund Award, 2017, Blooming St. Paul Garden Advocate Award. The awards keep going on and on. Thank you very much, Mr. Melvin, for coming on today. Uh, thank you for having me. So tell me, you know, of course, uh, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about your impact in, in donation because, uh, again, your outreach is uh, just phenomenal. Tell me a little bit about what uh, got you engaged in having such an impact or wanting to have such an impact on the community? It was the way I was raised. Uh, I come from a fantastic family, a loving family. My father was a preacher and he instilled some good social and public values, civic values to his kids. And uh, we just kind of thought that was the way you're supposed to live life, connecting to everyone. And Mr. Melvin, what brought you towards uh, the path of educating about donation? Well, for sure, uh, life source. Uh, my um, dear life companion passed away at a early age, and uh, within hours of her passing, I received a phone call. And I believe it was from Life Source, informing me that Mary was a um, organ donor on her license and they asked I asked me questions and um, I was happy that they understood that I needed a couple hours <laughs> to um, answer any questions for them uh, but later on um, visiting life source I was just really impressed with the love and compassion and support that I felt within the building from their staff people. And 
came back a few times and then I met their um, outreach or coordinator and she was uh, just fantastic. Just being in her presence, I could feel that she wanted to honor Mary and she wanted to make sure whatever I needed to do healing for myself, that she would be supportive of that and that life source would back that up. I'd like to go back, if we can, just a little bit, Mr. Melvin. Can you tell us a little bit about Mary and what, what kind of person she was? Yeah, she was a bright star. She grew up in a, kind of a small town in western Minnesota, Wilma, Minnesota. Uh, she was a high school swimming champion and became an All-American college champion um, in her swimming field. And then she went on to become a social worker. And that's where I met her at Catholic Charities. And I would like to say right away, you know, there was a connection, but I think the connection was more for me. Mm. Um, once she found out that I was okay with cats and dogs, <laughs> and she kind of warmed up. That's a, that's important. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I read in one of her uh, one of the notes about her that she she loved to rescue animals, huh? Yeah. After um, she went to a different career path, she started following her passion, which was uh, the care and love for animals. And she became a pioneer in Minnesota as far as feral cats, trap, trapping and spay neuter release. Uh, she started this, what we call the neuter commuter, traveling around the state of Minnesota, um, visiting farms, and she would lead a team. Sometimes we would have two vets, uh, you know, always have some folks and I got to volunteer with them, and my job was the recovery room, and uh, and that's where some of the peace bubbles and peace poles come in at. But during the Hurricane Katrina, she led what she called a dream team down to New Orleans. We had a caravan of about nine vehicles with equipment and a lot of, um, you know, Animal stuff, but human things too. And our group thought we would be there for maybe seven days. Um, on that first trip, we stayed, uh, Mary and myself stayed for the whole month. And then her work, uh, she continued to go back and forth for a whole year, uh, sometimes bringing animals back that, uh, that was rescued. But it was always a blessing returning with the animals when we found their owners. Oh, that yes, Mary was a great animal rescuer. That had to be incredible. I I was uh, in New Orleans during Katrina, and I and uh, my dad's a vet, and I know that there you know that was one of the biggest fears that people had was you know losing their animals or not being able to evacuate with their animals or what would happen to their animals if they did evacuate. So uh, I thank you so much for the work you guys did. Sounds like you both were just such a blessing and in service to your community. And I know a lot of families I work with, when they make the decision for their loved one to be an organ donor, they say it brings them such peace. And I know you've been mentioning the peace bubbles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and uh, I identify myself as a peacemaker. And um, I have uh, 
learned the joy of bubbles. Um, it was by accident, but I can actually say Mary has something to do with that too. Um, but um, these days I use bubbles um, as a way of sharing that uh, we need to create spaces and places of peace. And in particular, um, I encourage bubbles instead of bullets or bubbles instead of just, you know, just acting in a dysfunctional way. We need to take a deep breath and just, you know, we can count to 10 or we can blow some happy bubbles. I have to say, you know, when, and, and I've got a picture of you here blowing bubbles and it just takes me back, you know, when anytime someone's blowing bubbles, it just brings the environment into a happier place. And it's, and I can see the, the, you know, the meaning behind that. And then, and, and it, it's, uh, it's a neat thing, especially you mentioned, you know, bubbles. And I think I'm, uh, you mentioned bubbles instead of bullets. That is a, that's a yes. cool idea that you came up with. Thank you. And, and, and I would say also with the, also with the bubbles, uh, you know, if they connected to that social justice, um, it's been another way of, for me as a black man to connect with police officers. Um, about 20 years ago, I started giving bubbles to police officers to take on their domestic calls, particularly if they run into children, that they could give them to the kids so they can start treating this whole different perspective of how people look at each other instead of these kids being fearful of these cops, that they can uh, kind of like remember them as, you know, peacemakers, bubble makers. It's, that is such a neat idea. And it's a simple one. You know, it's not something that takes a whole lot of finances or creativity, you know, but the fact that you thought of, of doing that. And, and like I said, the thoughts that I have as a 40 something year old kid, uh, you know, yeah. it, I, every time every time I see bubbles, I want to blow them myself. So so the, the impact that it has on kids and the community relationships with with police officers, that's uh, as pretty impactful. So, you know, like we said, community activists and, and educators. So and then you told us a little bit about, you know, what happened with Mary, what type of person she was. And then you found, you know, the, the life source. You started talking to uh, mm-hmm. the community educator family uh, support there. So tell us about that relationship and, and how that got you to uh, their check the box campaign. Yeah, I often wonder that myself. It's <laughs> a good question. As I mentioned, the person, I'm not sure if I mentioned her name, but she's in the room, so I'm going to say Miss Lindsay. Um, one day I came by to ask her, would she or LifeSource be interested in having an information table at a community event? And part of my request was because I didn't know many folks in our community who was familiar with LifeSource, number one. And organ donation, organ tissue eye donation is not a subject that I hear at all in the community. And the only time someone may mention it is that it's a question on the, uh, when you go get your driver license. And, and the Lindsay did not hesitate. Um, she said she would like to do it. She needed to check with her, her folks. Um, and I believe she was able to do it. However, since that time, I would say she's a regular uh, visitor now over in St. Paul. 
and she's really helping to share the word, particularly in communities of color and First Nation communities. I kind of joke with her sometimes because the summer at the table, especially in the summertime, she's always bringing suntan lotion. And, uh, but she also brings hand washing stuff. And, but it's a lesson that, uh, a simple lesson that I have learned too, that everyone probably needs to use a little suntan lotion. <laughs> so Mr. Melvin, what kind of questions, since you've been working with Lindsay, are you hearing the most from the community? You know, because you said you didn't really hear much about it. So what kind of questions now that you're trying to open those conversation paths are you getting? Yeah, you know, actually, instead of the questions, I'm hearing more people tell me about how they are or Oregon, they have checked the box. That's great. Um, yeah, and it's really, uh, it's more like people want me to know that they are part of this movement this great movement of knowing they can leave a gift. I definitely do get uh, questions about, uh, or people tell me they're one of their parents or someone they know is on a waiting list. And often I just give them life source telephone number or give them a card. There's been times where for me, I usually have to, call or email Lindsay to ask her a question, to, to ask would she be willing to talk to someone who's uh, unfortunately just lost a loved one. And, and it's just the thought for that person knowing that somebody's there that they can talk to, that I believe it gives them a sense of, um, I don't want to necessarily say peace, but it gives them a sense that this will pass and that all will be well, that it will just take some time. Yeah, just having someone to listen to you and be there for you and support you has been, I'm sure, impactful for so many families. Yes. And, um, and then I'll say the other great piece of what I've been experiencing is just uh, this whole ripple effect. Um, I can be even in Georgia, uh, the state of Georgia, at a conference and Someone particularly from Minnesota might make a comment. I know two months ago it happened to me, and the person shared with me how they received the gift of an organ donation and that her sister received one. And then later on, I found out when I came back and shared that, that someone who I worked with very closely, that their brother received a organ donation. I'm really happy that I asked Trina to be here today. So I would like to make sure we save some time for her to share everything that she would like to share about. Mary was an organ donor, whereas Trina's brother was a receiver, recipient. And uh, I, I just, for me, I just love this magic. The, the question you asked me earlier about life's source, it really has helped me with my healing. In, I know it's going to be a lifetime of it, but when a person asks me a question, I, I basically tell people about, like with a wonderful life with the angel, people say an angel got their wing. Every time somebody mentioned to me about seeing me blowing bubbles or check the box, I just smile within my heart and knowing that's my 
that's married saying, hey, baby, I'm still with you. Mm-hmm. You know, keep doing the good work and um, keep spreading peace. Keep planting peace poles. I love that. So, Mr. Melman, when somebody asks you why it's important to check the box, what, what do you tell them? Well, most of my blow some bubbles at home. <laughs> <laughs> and it puts them in a better mood, of course. Yeah. And I, you know, I just, it's a gift. As I was saying, I mean, people are asking why I do it. I think people are. I think people know why they should do it. They mainly want some uh, insurance or confirmation that their afterlife or somebody they know, their loved one, will be respected. Yeah, it sounds like that was and kind that, of the inspiration behind the Check the Box campaign that Life Source wanted to be able to start having conversations and giving you know, real life examples and real stories to people who had yeah. been touched by donation and transplantation or, or just were advocates for donation. I think they've been very successful. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and you know, we talk a lot here about the power of one, you know, and the impact that mm-hmm. one person can have. And I have to say in this situation, obviously, it is the power of two because of, of what you and Mary have both done for so many people in so many areas and so many animals too, you know, and, and her going from saving animals' lives to, to saving people's lives. And then, and then you taking that and, and, you know, making more of an impact even than just those directly touched. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And, and again, I, I know I said it earlier, thank you for coming. Uh, but but it, you are uh, an inspiration to us, certainly. Uh, a quick question. Thank you. Quick question. Were, were you ever able to meet uh, any of her recipients? No, but uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I have not met them, but I have, uh, have read some letters, and it was those letters that um, I didn't meet them in person, but I met them. And the spirit, and it helped me to know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in this room, my man. They have uh, some words that say, even in death, she was still able to help others. And for me, that's what's that. Yeah, that's a good question. I, if if I could meet him, I would love to. Um, I, I know the first three months, four months, I definitely was looking at people's eyes often, seeing if I'd seen her eyes. And, um, and I, I think life's source has helped me to know that she's all over the place. It's not so much a physical thing. It's just she's in the air. And that her spirit and more so her light is shining. Um, if I can say one thing, Joy, um, part of that light, and I think you mentioned the peace pole. Um, one of my nephews is assisting me right now, a couple years after Harry's death. He came up to me and just said, Uncle, we need to, um, I want to help you create this solar peace pole down there at Mary. And, uh, and I'm, so I'm hoping that Life Source and many other people be able to have a solar peace pole 
Um, and for me, that's another way of keeping Mary's light shining. So, Mr. Melvin, you were sharing with us that Miss Mary brought you to Life Source and, and to becoming a donation advocate, but then you also have been able to experience the receiving end through your coworker, Trina, correct? Well, what I was mainly saying that I'm sometimes surprised of the connections of organ donation or how when people start sharing, you hear other stories. And um, Trina happened to share a story with me uh, about podcasts, actually, that her brother, who was a recipient, and she's, I'm looking right at her. I want to hand this phone to her. (laughs) Go ahead. Put her on. We'd love to, we'd love to talk to her. Hi, this is Trina. Hi, Trina. This is Kirsten and Joey and Sarah here. So um, would you mind sharing your connection to donation and transplantation? Sure. I have a brother who suffered for probably 25 years with um, sarcoidosis of the lungs, which is progressive, and and he eventually was put on a waiting list for a lung transplant. And I think it was two years ago, he finally jumped to the top of the list and received a lung, and it's been you know, a miracle for him. This was a guy who was a marathon runner and always very active. And and even at the height of his disability with a lung disease, he always tried to remain active and hung out with my kids all the time and would take them out and do things with them, even if that meant that two days, you know, for the following two days, he was kind of you know, sitting in a chair doing nothing because it had completely exhausted him. And and now he has received the gift of a lung and he's been able to resume a very active life. And, and a couple of years later, after adjusting to the medications and the recovery from the surgery, he's he feels better than he's felt in decades. And so it's just this remarkable story of a new lease on life. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. So how did you and Melvin start this conversation? How did y'all find out that you had this um, connection. connection? So it's because Melvin was telling me about some events uh, that he participated in here at LifeSource and um, people that he'd met here and his um, able to ability to create this connection to bring some education over into St. Paul in, in the neighborhoods where we had been working together. And so he was talking about this and I started asking him why, you know, what is what is this connection with life source? Tell me about this. And then and he told me about Mary. And, you know, Melvin is an amazing connector in the community. And he brings out people's lives and people's stories and creates connection through them. And so I, I felt really great about being able to share the story of my brother with him. And I think it was about that same time where um where Jesse had started talking to Melvin about potentially doing this podcast and, you know, Melvin, well, Trina, you should just come along and be a part of this, you know? And so he just, he's always making connections, but, but he makes you feel like you're part of a special club. And so no, I, and being in a special club with Melvin is, is pretty amazing. So, but I, I mean, I can't express my gratitude for, you know, the fact that I have my brother with me to be able to do things with him and, and see him being able to 
live his life and be active and travel and ride a bike and do all the things that he had to forego for many, many years. So I couldn't be more grateful for the donations I've done. I was listening to your story and thinking about um, what, you know, Mary, Mary rescuing animals. And I find that, um, and I don't know if Trina feels like this, a lot of times, you know, the recipients that to me kind of have some similarities to animals that need rescuing that they just need one person to care for them and say yes to adopting them. And, and just like there's so many people waiting for one person to say yes and being an organ donor. Have you ever thought about that parallel? Yes. Uh, thank you. For Mary and myself, we decided when we got together that we want to be parents, but we just want to be parents of four-legged kids. And, uh, and, so, and we had many of them. Mary's featured in a book called The Paw Prince of Katrina. And there's a photo of um, one of the dogs she rescued. And it looked like it wasn't going to even survive. And then there's an after photo with the dog uh, named Katrina <laughs> um, in Mary's arms. Uh, so, yes, I often. Uh, think of that parallel, and I know that uh, I'm still trying to uh, to breathe through knowing that the dog that she rescued passed away about four months before Mary did, and I definitely believe that they um, left Mary with a broken heart, and she. We had to go see her baby, and, uh, and after that, we had to. We still had one more four-legged, and, and I'm blessed that he hung around with me for four, for two more years, and then he decided he needed to go see his mama. Um, and people who I know often tell me that they know Mary is up there at that Rainbow Bridge, welcoming animals and. Yeah, and and some people say, uh, oh, can't she rescue my auntie too, <laughs> the two-legged ones? And I was like, I don't know. She deals with animals, but Mary loved people. But I also wanted to just say uh, again, thank you. And it's I think it's kind of synchronicity of having this podcast for the month of February. The other thing Mary and I used to love doing is really playing and having fun with the leap years and knowing that uh, when you take a leap of faith, uh, you need to start uh, with a lot of runway where you can look both ways. And uh, one of the things I fell in love with Mary was she had this poster when I met her about the great leap of faith. And it was a, a Minnesota artist who just, this woman just, stretching and jumping, leaping across the canyons. And uh, so I invite everyone, particular, it's a Saturday, uh, to really take advantage of February 29th and uh, just to do something extra fun, something extra loving, and just to leap it, to leap it. So thank you again. Mr. Melvin, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing such wonderful advice with us. And if you'd like to read more of Mr. Melvin's story, you can go to donatelifemidwest.com.
org and check out their Check the Box campaign. And in every episode, we like to take a moment for mental health. Yeah, Sarah, what do you got? I, uh, you mentioned earlier men in grief. Do men even grieve? <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about how men do grieve and how as a society in the U.S., men are taught, probably from a young age, boys are taught a little bit to show their feelings and their emotions and be vulnerable less. So, Or not at all. Or not mm-hmm. at all. It's a sign of weakness. It's this. It's that. So, um, you know. Recently, we had a death in America. Kobe Bryant died. And I think for one of the first times, we saw several men, several strong pro athletes crying Mm -hmm. on camera. And I think it just had this really big impact and it showed this really big shift. And it showed how being vulnerable is actually showing strength. And it was the first time. So I kind of wanted to talk about that shift in our culture and how we should um, start talking to boys at a young age or change the way we talk to boys that it's okay to show tears. It's okay mm-hmm. to show grief. And I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I can tell you, and it's going to be difficult for a minute, but uh, yeah, so uh, I recently lost my father-in-law, very close friend of mine. And, and uh, after the, the services, the funeral, my sister, you know, of course, was there and, and she said, I have never in my life gone to a, a funeral where every single man was crying. Mm-hmm. Every man was crying. Mm-hmm. And it's not something you would have seen. Of course, it is obviously shows the impact that he had on so many. But it also shows that it is we are in a different place in society mm-hmm. uh, that, that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that's that was you know so much more stoic. taboo. Yeah, everyone would have had to continue holding it in until you know ultimately releasing it later mm-hmm. in their you know privacy, their own homes, or or when they're alone. And and you are definitely seeing it. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Kobe Bryant, and I was I was actually in in uh, Atlanta at the time, and in a, in a, a restaurant, and. It actually came over my phone with with the Kobe Bryant thing, and I'm a huge. Obviously, y'all know I'm a huge sports fan, big mm-hmm. basketball fan, and uh, and I was so stunned I couldn't speak for like a mm-hmm. while. And my wife, you know, who knows, and she knows who he is. She was like, you know, they couldn't understand. Like, what what is going? You know, why are you not speaking? And I'm like, I I just need a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it is he's an icon and it's mm-hmm. it's giant to me mm-hmm. and and it's funny I, I looked around and of course news spread you know immediately now mm-hmm. with social uh, media and I looked around in this place and there was so many like guys mm-hmm. who were stopped and uh, it was a sports it was kind of like a sports bar and grill that we were eating lunch and uh and everyone's just just like jaw dropped to the floor somber watching the TV. Mm-hmm. It was just a surreal thing that, you know, just for a little bit. And, and, you know, you, you, you knew the impact of Kobe, but you knew, you know, you, you can see 
all of those guys, you know, that obviously you're in a sports, sports bar, you know, and grill, mm-hmm. you, you, most of those guys enjoy sports. So he probably had a connection. But to see that yeah. grieving that was already instantaneous, like on, on their faces and their, their, their demeanor. And it just it, it normalizes for other men that it's OK to show mm-hmm. grief and tears specifically. We know that letting tears out there are toxins and tears when you're grieving that you have to let them out. So it normalizes it. It makes it okay. And, you know, he, this is one example, but recently Joe Burrow, go Tigers, yeah. won the Heisman. And in his speech, he oh. cried. And it, to me, showed so much strength and so much vulnerability that he was able to connect to so many more people. And I think that's what this is all about is just connecting yeah, to others. more real being more real, being authentic. And like you said, you just were at a funeral. I remember funerals I've been to with my family where my dad didn't cry and it made me more worried for him mm-hmm. instead of, you know, and I know that might sound a little selfish, but if I would have just seen my dad maybe cry, I would have been less worried about him. Like he's mm-hmm. holding this in. He's, he doesn't want to show anybody this instead of look at him, he's being himself and he's letting it out and he's not afraid what other people think. Right. So, you know, I'm a woman, so it might be harder for me to engage mm-hmm. in this conversation, but I just think as a society, we're becoming more and more okay with men showing grief and tears and being vulnerable and being authentic and keep it going. And those conversations start with young boys. So if you're talking to your sons, your nephews, if they start to cry, don't say, hold that in, boys don't cry. It's mm-hmm. more so. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Thanks for the information, Sarah. Always good conversations. If you have a topic you'd like Miss Sarah to tackle, email us at info at thegiftedlife.org. In every episode, we honor a hero. And today's hero comes from our partners at LifeSource, Miss Mary Salter. We learn about Mary from her spouse, Melvin. Mary operated from the heart and her beautiful smile and bright blue eyes were a shining light for so many people. She was a dedicated social worker and enjoyed serving and advocating for elderly clients. She also had a great passion for animals and was considered a rescuer and friend to all. Mary liked exploring new recipes and often volunteered at the Community Peace Sanctuary Garden in St. Paul. With so much love to give and dedication to helping others, Mary made the life-saving decision to register as a donor. Through her passing, she has given hope and peace to so many people with her generous gift of life. And now we pause and say thank you to Mary for the gift of life. In our question and answer segment, we've got a question from Kirsten. Why are so many minorities on the Oregon waiting list? So, Kirsten, uh, all right, so I'll go back to the waiting list itself. So 113,000 people generally, uh, you know, over the last few months, it's about what it's been that are on the national waiting list. Thing is, most of the waiting list is comprised of kidneys. You know, there's a bigger kidney need than than any of the other organ types. And so a couple things that I want to touch on. Uh, First... The, the, the main reason is that prevalence of kidney disease is higher in the minority communities. So then because of this, uh, more minorities are on dialysis and thus need transplants. So 
Just want to touch on the list a little bit, though, so you guys can, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all be on the same page on this. The wait list is not listed by racial group or ethnicity or anything like that, culture, anything. You know, it's it's listed by, if, if depends on the organ type, kidneys are listed by uh, the priority go, is given to those who have been on dialysis for the longest. So there's no distinguishing with ethnicities. Uh, whereas the other organ types in general are more by urgency, uh, how, how sick those, patient, those, those people are. So, so you will see, you know, the reflection of the kidney lists and those who are receiving transplants are very much similar to the, the, uh, the percentages on the waiting list. All right. Thank you so much. And if you have a question, give us a call at 504-648-3477. Joey, Sarah, thanks for having me on this side yeah, of the mic. Great. I Thank had you. so much fun. Now yeah. I want to go pet some puppies and blow some bubbles. No joke. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and for everybody else, I want to let you guys know if you haven't decided to register as an organ donor yet, it's super easy. Just go to registerme.org. Yeah. And what a great episode. Special thanks, obviously, to, to Melvin, our friends at LifeSource there in Minnesota, and, and for Melvin for sharing Mary with us. Two very inspirational people, and, and, and you know, we talk. Lori always says the power of one, and, and the impact and the ripple effect that they can have, and and that they those two have had. And also, thanks to Trina to, to also jumping on there last last minute with us and, and sharing her side, and and how it completely closes the loop on on donation with you know their connections. If you want to learn more, you can visit us at our website, thegiftedlife.org. You can listen to our podcast there or anywhere you listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, or Spotify. And if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and subscribe so that others can find our podcast. Absolutely. And if you're on social media, like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. And we hope this episode inspired you to do something you would normally do to help make life happen. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs> <laughs>